Don't you love that? I love those stories. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be we're going to be sharing more of those as we go along. But as I hear them talk, that's a different way to think about church. And that's what the series that we're embarking on is about. It's not anything new about who we are as a church, but we're going to uh, just settle down and, and, and focus in on the reality of that kind of vibrancy that, that most people don't think of when they think of church. Uh, Joanne Will as a gr grammar school-aged son, and uh, this little guy and she were riding along in the car, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, Joanne's son said, Mom, what, what's, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? It's kind of a bizarre question. And uh, she said, well, buddy, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And then she thought for a second and thought, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? He didn't hesitate. He said 5,372. She said, buddy, that's, fan, that's fantastic, but why did you stop at that number? He said, church was over. Which is how so many of us grow up thinking about church. It's something maybe to endure, it's a routine, it's a ritual, and it's, it's confined to a particular time and a particular place. And what we want to unpack is that church is not a routine or a ritual in the negative sense of either of those words. Nor is church ever over, which could be terrifying to somebody if they think church is, is, is born, but not this kind of church that we just saw. But also church just doesn't only happen in a building. It's everywhere. As we are unleashed and actually freed to be the church. Last week we talked about this reality called a prison cell of death that we're all born into. This is not a matter of my circumstances. This is true of every human being. And whether or not I'm in prison of, or not, in this type of prison, isn't connected to whether my circumstances are all doing wonderful or not so good as many of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are incarcerated have taught me over the years. Just because they're behind physical bars, I've seen some of the freest people I've ever met in terms of their humanity because they've engaged with the gospel. We've talked about how Christ is the one who opens this door. He's the only one who unlocks it. That's what the gospel is. And it translates me from this realm of death into this realm of life. This realm of, we looked at different characteristics, say of aimlessness into this realm of purpose, this realm of death that looks like guilt into this realm of, 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 of forgiveness, this realm of, of, of shame into a realm of acceptance. Uh, he set me free from confusion and restlessness into a context of truth and, and shalom, from just uh, despair to hope, from the realities that we have where we want to be superficial into this realm of significance, out of aloneness into love and out of isolation into community, we have been set free to be the church. We're not set free just as individuals. We're set free to be brought into a community and we're set free to do something. It's not just, hey, your freedom's not, not an end in itself. We are freed to be fully human, 
to be fully human together, to be fully human together, which is what the church really is. It's the new humanity that God is, is doing on this planet to renew what he started. We talked about Jesus announcing his messiahship last week in Luke chapter 4. You guys remember that, where Jesus read that, the, the scripture? Just nod. Okay, remember that? Great, because then I'll have to do last week's message and this week's message. It gets long. Here's the passage that he read. Now, we read from Luke 4, his account. Now, let's read from the actual passage in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61. Verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Get that? Jesus has come to unleash and unshackle our fallen humanity, to bring us in back into the original. We were meant to be out here. This is where we were created to be and live and do our lives. In the midst of our sin, though, it imprisons us. That's what the fall did. Put all of us in a prison cell of death. And Jesus has come to, to release from darkness the prisoners, to unshackle us, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is what that looks like. God says, I've paid I've, I've paid myself your death sentence. Come out into my favor. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We're brought out of the ashes into a realm of beauty. Completely, perfectly, no. This week reminded us we're still in a fallen world. But the redemption has happened and the restoration has begun. And he's calling us to be a part of that. The oils of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now here's the deal. We have been freed, but we've free, been freed to something. And it's not just for me, oh, I can have a better life. God has far bigger purposes for you than just that. He says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. So God takes his people and plants us in, in the ashes to bring beauty. He begins to use us as freed men and women to walk into realms of, of enslavement and shackles and imprisonment and to be messengers of freedom. He says, you've been planted for the display of his splendor. You and I have been freed to demonstrate, not in a pious, self-righteous, holier-than-thou sense, but to simply demonstrate this is what God's intending for humanity. We're not perfect yet, but we're becoming. And then verse 4, and this is a, a verse that's hit me more deeply this week than, than in a long time because of the events in Baton Rouge and then Minneapolis and Dallas. Here's what'll happen when we start getting planted. When we start being the church, 
not just in buildings, but in our neighborhoods, in our communities, our workplaces. They'll rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. A liberation. A liberation's been set in motion in the gospel. Me trusting Jesus is a powerful thing, but it's not just about me and Jesus and now having a new religious category. I've been freed into a new realm of being human, a new realm of being in community, and a new purpose. And that is to be planted by God in various areas for the display of His splendor, for, for the display of His availability, His healing. Our culture is disintegrating at its core. The only hope is not some type of political legislation or new media tactics. The only hope is for God's splendor once again to be displayed in this country. And that will only happen through His people. Not people who are addicted to religiosity and legalistic judgmentalism or judgmental legalism, but men and women who've come alive. It's going to take us being serious about the way that God has called us in a way that we begin to rearrange our lives around smaller groups. This is church, absolutely, but this is not church only. This is, the only, this is not the only place we experience church. We experience church every day of the week in smaller communities, which is what we're referring to when we talk about these personal churches that have been distributed in a smaller group context, 5, 10, 25, 45 people. What does it look like for us to rearrange our lives and be planted together in different parts of our community and our culture and our world for the display of His splendor? to be agents of freedom. What does that look like? And as uh, Pastor Vernon mentioned, we, we've brought it into six communal practices. We're going to look at one each week. And they're on the front of your worship guide. And this week we're looking at embracing the mission. What does it look like for us to get together in smaller groups? What do we do? How do we become those oaks of righteousness in a particular community? First and foremost, and we got these from interviewing these 70 groups that are already going, these 70 personal churches, and the, one of the top ones that came out is we, everybody embraces the, the mission. They're not waiting for other people to do it, and here's how, how, how we'll refer to it. When they see an opportunity to love or serve, everybody in this group, in this personal church, does it. They know that the mission of God isn't limited to religious institutions. You know, the professionals are helpful, but ministry is something that they all do. We all are in this together. Let me put it another way. For us to embrace the mission is for each of us individually to leave the audience 
You heard a phrase, Chad used it. We've been using it quite a bit. The people formerly known as the audience. That is our prayer for who we are as a church. Instead of just coming and staring at the back of somebody's head and looking at a stage for an hour and a half, we, we, we leave the audience. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you guys saw this uh, circulating on the web this past week. I just ran, ran across it. I'm a big Keith Urban fan, and I, I saw this and clicked on it. Last Saturday night in Guilford, New Hampshire, Keith Urban was doing a concert. And he took a break. I was going to do an acoustic set. The band left the stage. And uh, there was a couple up front. This one guy, his name's Rob. His girlfriend is Lex. They've attended several Keith Urban concerts, have had big posters up. That night they were rushed. They didn't have the posters, but they had their tickets. You know, their tickets they had printed out. And then last minute on the back of them, uh, he wrote this. He said, can I play your guitar? Now, he's done that before in big posters. Keith's never seen it, he said in interviews afterwards. His girlfriend wrote on hers, today is my boyfriend's birthday, and she put an arrow over to him. For some reason, right at the beginning of that, as, as Keith was kind of chatting it up with the audience, he, he, he saw their signs. And as he said afterwards, he said, okay. Let's, he said, you play the guitar? Rob said, yep. Man, I get nervous right then if I'm there. I'm thinking, oh my. But Keith thought, come up and play with me. You know, he thought, okay, if, if he can't play, I can play over him. Um, I've asked our, our, our video team, I've to, we've put together several segments, not the whole song, but some of the beginning, and then we'll, we'll shift to the end. I want you to see what happened when Keith Urban asked Rob up onto the stage. Take a look. You want to play, you want to play my guitar? Your sign says, it's my boyfriend's birthday. You're pointing to him. Do you play guitar? Well, come on up here. Yeah, sure. Come on up here. All right. He could be your backup guitarist. Really? My backup guitarist. No pressure. It's my dream job. Really? Well, let's, uh, let's grab another one of my guitars real quick. Hey, play this one. Take that one. I'll find another guitar. Rob's got the guitar. I just need any any guitar, Chris. But you got a little volume here. Of course. There you go. Check that out. Make sure you're good to go. Tell me all you really, all we really 
So, Rob Joyce is his name. He's from Berlin, Massachusetts. He was interviewed afterwards. He says, uh, every time I've come to one of Keith's concerts, I've come, and as you can tell, he's a guitarist. He has his own YouTube channel. He loves Keith Urban's stuff, and he was prepared. He knew if I ever get the chance, I'm going to play this song, Good Thing. So he launched into it. So what was happening in you? You were nervous a little bit at first, and then all of a sudden, he comes on, the band comes back from their break. I don't know if you noticed that. They all started coming back. The lighting guys started saying, let's find the program for this song. All of a sudden, when Rob left the audience and came up on stage, everything happened. That image I want in your mind and in your heart and in some of the decisions that you and I begin to make as his people. Because that is the summons of the gospel, is to summon you and me out of the audience back on to the stage, not to perform but to be the church, to typically church as a spectator activity. And we remain spectators, why? It's because we, we don't understand church. Hear this, take a look at it. Church is not an isolated audience. It's not an audience. It's not an audience of people that are isolated from one another, but church instead is a community of freed, called out men and women who are embracing the mission and realizing we're not here to watch. We're here to be the church. So what's it look like? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God so that you can come an hour and a half every week when it's convenient and watch some other people do church. <laughs> that you may declare the praises of him who called you. Called me out of what? Called me out of prison. Out of this prison cell of death into life. Out of darkness into light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It says that you may declare, he's, that you may declare the, the praises of him. It's kind of like that display of splendor, that we might display a splendor from, from Isaiah 61. Actually, the Greek word that's used there is the only time it occurs in the entire New Testament. And it's referring to to divulge, to set forth the worth of God. In Baton Rouge and in Minneapolis and in Dallas, is there anything worthwhile about who God is and what he teaches for those cities? Absolutely. But it's for the church to be released from walls and to begin to do church everywhere. How do we do that? How, how do we embrace the mission for that? We've got to embrace four realities. I'll cover them real quick, and they're right from this passage. Here's reality number one. 
each of us. So just think of your group, maybe your family or a smaller group or a group that you're beginning to formulate, this personal church. What do we all need to do if we're going to embrace the mission? We all need to together embrace the reality that we're called. Every one of us is called. This is a wonderful thing for us to come to. We're called to do this and celebrate in, in large fashion. But we're also called to be in these smaller communities. He says, you're a chosen people. You're chosen people. In 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, to the church of God in court. Now, the word church, the Greek word church, you see it over about 110 times in the New Testament. Ekklesia is, is, is what's translated church. It's the, the root is kaleo, means to call. You know, all the church is, is a group of called out men and women. He summoned us. Yo! I don't think that's in the Greek, but... Uh, it, he calls you and me when we're in the midst of this valley of the shadow of death. He says, come alive, Lazarus, calling him to life kind of thing. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You and I are called together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, as prisoners for the Lord, notice that take. He says, we've left this prison cell of death and become bondservant, prisoners in, a, in an ironic sense in which we actually are set free because we want to be under his leadership. As prisoners of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've already received. It's like Keith Urban looks down at Rob and says, Rob, come on up here and Rob, doesn't come on up there. How much he's missing out on because he's gifted. How much we miss out on when we don't respond to that call and the rest of the community, how much we miss out. It's a calling and, and as, as, the, as, as personal churches, smaller communities, as individuals, yes, but then also as groups, we begin to, to do our lives according, listen, not to a cadence of convenience, which is what our culture is addicted to, but we begin to dance and march and live to a cadence of calling. What I've been called to do. It's not what I want to do right now. It's not what, what is God calling me to do? So to embrace our mission, we need to embrace that we're called. Secondly, we need to embrace the reality that we're qualified to be the church. Go back to the text. But you're a chosen people, a royal what? Just say it out loud. Priesthood. The priesthood of all believers is a, a, a core doctrine of the Reformation. It's not just for the professionals. Do you really believe that? You know the phrase full-time ministry? You ever heard that phrase? All right, say it right now. Everybody together. Ready? One, two, three. Full-time ministry. May that be the last time that you ever say it related to people like me. You say, well, how do I talk about you? Good luck. I'm figuring that out. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you. People that are employed at the church, you can refer to us. We're, we're in vocational ministry. We do full-time ministry as our vocation. But guess who else does full-time ministry? Everybody. At your law firm, in your factory, at the shop, at home. 
It's all full-time ministry because we're all called, we're all, we're all ministers. And God's placed us in a particularly unique context. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he wants you to figure out how to bring it about. Oh, faithful is he who calls you, he'll also bring it to pass. He, what he gives me to do, he calls me. Now, the, the, the analogy with Keith Urban breaks down. He didn't know Rob was so qualified. God does. And he says, I want you to be the church. And these are the gifts that I've given you because I've called you. And I've qualified you. I've qualified you to exercise creative initiative in ways that you never imagined. But here's the third reality that we've got to embrace if we're going to embrace the mission and start experience the beauty of, of who we are as his people that have been freed. We, we don't just embrace the reality that we're called and that we're qualified, but thirdly, we embrace the reality that we're connected. I'm not alone. And the, here the analogy breaks way down. God never calls us up to the stage individually. He calls us as community to do life together. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. We go back to the text. He says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We think nation, America. Independence Day. Our nation is built on individualism. The kingdom of God is not. Do I lose my individuality as a follower of Jesus? Of course not. But I follow him in community. You read through the epistles, you know, there are a lot of exhortations to churches like in Ephesus. Let's take, for example, Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while and read through Ephesians, you remember that. Put on the full armor of God. Most of us read that and we think, I've got to put on the full armor of God. I've got to get the helmet of salvation, get a breastplate of righteousness, got a belt, belt. Is that true? Sure. But that's not the primary context. He's writing to a church, a community of people that are all on the stage together. You and I, when we're in that prison cell, we're isolated. We need a community to, to be the church with. Sam Rayburn was the longest serving speaker of the house in history, three different terms, totaling 17 years in 1961. He contracted terminal cancer and he went back to his home in Bonham, Texas. And a lot of his friends in the House and the Senate and government in Washington said, why are you going back to that little town in Texas at such a critical time in your life? You know what he said? Because in Bonham, Texas, they know if you're sick and they care if you die. Some of you right now hear that and you're thinking, I don't know if anybody would know if I'm sick or if they care if I would die. It's a community with whom we must do life and engage. Let me give you the fourth way that we embrace the mission. We embrace it not just by embracing the reality that we're called and we're qualified and that we're connected with one another as the body of Christ. But that next phrase is huge. 
And here it is, we're privileged. To embrace the mission means that we're, we understand that we are privileged beyond anything we could ever imagine or ask or dream beyond anything we've ever imagined. Go back to the text. But you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear this in the background. You and I are privileged beyond our wildest dreams. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. It's not once you didn't have anything to do on a Sunday morning, now you do. Once you weren't a people, now you're not only a people connected, but you're a people that have been bought with a price, the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have. And a minute ago I read from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 that says, as prisoners for the Lord, then I urge you to live life worthy of the calling you've received. Here's the context of that. Look at the very end of chapter 3. It's actually a, a prayer that we too often we only look at it as individuals instead of as community. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Hear this, you and I individualize that. That's not a bad thing to do unless that's all we're doing. Hey, he's going to do this for me. No, he's saying this is to you as the church in Ephesus, the church in North and the church distributed to that particular facility, that particular neighborhood, that particular office. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church, in the ecclesia, in the called out community, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. A liberation has begun, and it's started with this new humanity. And then Paul didn't write in chapters. He didn't write in verses. The very next thing he says is, as prisoners for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Embrace the mission, and in doing so, you'll be embracing your calling, embracing the fact that you're qualified, you're connected, and also that you're privileged beyond your wildest imagination in an eternal sense. That is the power of the gospel when it's embraced corporately. Years ago, Abraham Lincoln, when he was president, would go to church at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. He usually went on Wednesday nights for the sermon. It was three blocks. He'd usually walk there with family or friends. On one particular evening, he was walking with a friend of his. They went to hear Abraham Lincoln's friend, who's the pastor, Dr. Phineas Gurley, preach. They were walking back to the White House, and his friend said, well, what'd you think of the sermon? And Lincoln said, um, it's well thought through, uh, very articulate. It was relevant. So his friend said, so you thought it was a great sermon? Lincoln said, no, I didn't. And his friend said, well, why, why didn't you think it was a great sermon? And Lincoln said, Dr. Gurley is a friend of mine, and I'll tell him this myself, but though it was well thought through, well reasoned, articulated well, 
The reason it wasn't a great sermon is Dr. Gurley did not ask anything great of us. There's nothing greater that I could, I could ask of you than to believe the gospel. Not just in a privatized way. My, my walk with Jesus is immensely personal, but it's not private. But to begin to embrace the gospel with you as a community out here learning to relish freedom together. Our culture is dying for such an embrace of mission by the people of God. Would you stand for your commission? Lord Jesus, I thank you for every one of these men and women here in this building and online, and I ask that you would enable us to be the church in ways that we never have before. May something click deep within us. As your Holy Spirit teaches us and brings this truth to bear, that we start realizing this gospel thing is not just about me and Jesus, but it's about hope for the world and us bringing hope as a community while we're experiencing hope as a community. I thank you for every one of these men and women who are called. If they're in Jesus, they're called, they're qualified. They're connected with some other people, and they're privileged. May we walk out of here. Whatever's going on in our life, may we walk out of here knowing we're privileged beyond our wildest imagination, and we need to unpack it in the midst of a fallen world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.